0: Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, Pastor Trudy Paul, if you know me. If you don't know me, I'm still Pastor Trudy Paul. We are so glad that you are here this morning in the absence of our lead pastor, uh, Forrest DeVinny. He is on assignment today in Israel, having a wonderful time. Lots of pictures coming back from people that are on, so we want to remember them today. And on this special day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Shall we pray? Our gracious God, we ask you to hear with spiritual ears. Open our hearts to your word. That my mouth may be yours as we hear as you need for us to hear. What we need in our lives to make us better to serve you in your world. In Christ's name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Reading from the Gospel of Mark, verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, it's called the verdict, or I call it the verdict of the vineyard. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, Dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to a ten, tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent slaves to tenants to collect for the slaves, that is share of the produce of the vineyard. But when they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and again he sent another slave to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted then he said another and that one they killed and so it was with many others some they beat others they killed he had still on another beloved son finally he he sent him saying they will respect my son but those tenants said to one another this is the heir come let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours So they seized him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this in the scriptures? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we're looking at the teachings from the Gospel of Mark to come to a, a most important parable of the vineyard. Tenants. A parable is just a simple story that has a lesson behind it. Sometimes it's hard for us to realize those lessons and learn them. Now, we completely skipped chapter eleven, but I think it's real important to go back there just for a moment uh, to give us some background. This chapter eleven of Mark will probably be used at Palm Sunday because this is the time that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. On a donkey, there are palm leaves laid down for his entrance. Palm branches waving, waving. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Their king is coming. His followers are there. It's Passover in Jerusalem, but also the religious leaders are there as well. They do not like it. They see Jesus is drawing the crowds and getting an audience and believing actually what he's saying They do not like it, they're jealous, they're angry, they're mad. Jesus then, staying in Jerusalem, went to the temple. And with his righteous anger, he entered into the temple and the courtyards. And he saw them selling. And he said, you are making my house a den of thieves. And he said, my father's house is a place of prayer. Now, can you imagine how the religious leaders felt then? First of all, they began to hate him even more. Being afraid of him, being afraid of what was going to happen. You see, Jesus was totally disruptive to their system and the religious leaders say, in their long flowing robes, saying to you, and what, by what authority do you speak? In our language today, who do you think you are? It's basically what they were saying. The story provides two things and questions that we need to answer who is the Christ and the rejected and true cornerstone. Now, who are the characters in this parable? If the Jewish leaders, uh, they must be the tenants. Now, if the religious leaders are the tenants, who is the builder and the owner? God. Oh, oh, I didn't hear you. God. Very good, so if God then is the uh, builder and the owner, being the owner and the tenders were Jewish leaders. Who were there, This is a little harder. Who was the servants of God? The prophets. Glad you're here today. The prophets of old. Who everybody knows this. No pressure, people. Who is the Son? Jesus. Amen. The story is simple. But simple is not always easy. A man has a vineyard and he leases it out to tenants. They misuse his property and want to keep it for themselves and all the money that they can get, cheating the owner. They kill the slaves that come in to collect. They beat some. They want to take all the profit. But the owner finally sends his heir his son, to collect, and they killed him. In our text today, Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and at this time, these events took place following or right before the crucifixion on the cross, following a challenge by the chief priests and scribes regarding his authority in ministry. Jesus presented this parable to all that would listen and were in the temple that day, like I said, including the scribes and the chief priests. The parable focuses on the vineyard being planted by a certain man and leased out to take care of, that other people would take care of. Harvesting fruit produced. The relationship between the owner and the tenants became very stressed to say the least. While the owner had made a profitable and beneficial situation to the tenants, they still weren't happy. They wanted more. They wanted more. They were ungrateful, and they sought to take advantage of the owner's kindness. As Jesus continued to teach in the temple, they shared the story who was present. He spoke again of the vineyard, which reveals great significance to the people of Israel. But there's an application to even to us today. You're probably going to hear that two or three times in the sermon. Application for all of us. This passage, this passage shows two things about Jesus when the Christ uh, is. Uh, Jesus mixes the metaphors in this passage, and each metaphor gives us a slightly view of the rejected cornerstone. And the first question we need to ask is, what does the vineyard really represent? The vineyard is a message to us all through the scriptures, a whole story that goes way back to Abraham, the promise by Yahweh, by promise by Almighty God that the people of Israel will be a blessing to all people, and they would produce sweet wine, showing the love of God and grace, and show God to everyone they could see, to show him, them who really God is. That was their job. Now, the religious leaders were supposed to be working on this purpose, but somehow it got to be askew. In what they were doing. In verse 12, it states, when they realized he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him and went away. Now, some of this, we, we need to go back and, and look at Isaiah in the Old Testament. I'd like to call it the First Testament. And it talks about the vineyard. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. What the, the, the people of God were following at the time. That's all they had. This is all the word they had. This is what the religious leaders were supposed to teach. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be devoured. I will break down the wall, and it shall be trampled down, and I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness be heard a cry. Read from Isaiah. Now Jesus quotes uh, also in Psalm 118. I, I thought this was very interesting in my reading you open it middle ways, usually you can find psalms. That's a good thing. We've taught everybody, particularly the kids and, and the youth of our day. But I was sitting in my computer and, and I was praying about what to do. When I get in trouble, I do that a lot, right? You do too. And I just felt this chill because I didn't know uh, what psalm or where it was. I actually opened my Bible. Not this one, this is the one that's worn, but my one at home. It actually opened to Psalm 118. I've tried it several times since, it's not happened. But I stopped for a moment and I thanked God and got this chill because I knew that this is the word she said to say. Reading from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. I, I'm gonna start with 21. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, it is a marvelous in our eyes. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone now. Yeah. Now Jesus quotes this, the stone has become the cornerstone. Well, what's he talking about? What is a cornerstone? I know we have some engineers in our group, construction people, we know anything has to be built properly to last. And I will read this to you. The cornerstone concept is derived from the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation, important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone thus determining the position of the entire structure. Jesus is the rejected cornerstone. And have you not read the scripture? The stone which the builder rejected has become the head of the corner. And this was the, Jesus was saying that this was the Lord's doing as he spoke to the religious leaders. Chief priests of the day should, should have recognized him and should have embraced him, but yet saw evil for him because they were blinded by hate, by anguish. They wanted to be the best themselves and people to worship them. He was the cornerstone that was prophesied and rejected. Now having rejected Jesus, They had rejected the Christ, the promised Messiah, all through the age of their Torah, of their books of the Old Testament. They did not recognize him, the cornerstone of their faith. But their rejection of the Israelites and the Jewish leaders failing to teach would cause great consequences. In other words, Jesus was accusing the religious leaders of building the whole system on something was wrong. Jesus didn't come to to invent a new religion. He said, I've come to build. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. But they did not understand this. They didn't remember what was in here. Had they really not read it, They poured over the scriptures and they knew everything, but did they understand? Was their heart open to what God was saying in the scriptures? The author is pointing out, he says, uh, it is better to take, also in Psalm 18, it says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I thank you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Remember that from Psalm 118. The message was given to the Israelites at the moment, but it's a message for all of us even today. It applies to all people all through the ages. I'm the God of yesterday. I am the God of today, and I am the God of tomorrow and forever. We may change. We may try to change this to fit our circumstances, but this never changes. The religious leaders sought to take Jesus by force, but they feared the people and the followers of Christ. Well, Why would they feel? You know, fear the people, their long, flowing robes. They were the boss. But this was a Passover time, people. Thousands of Jews were in Jerusalem. As we all know, the Israelites had a tough time wherever they lived and where they were. But they also, religious leaders, feared Rome. Because, see, in Rome, Jewish people were over here in their own little place. They could do their worship, they could eat what they wanted to or not eat what they wanted to. It didn't matter as long as they paid their taxes, caused no trouble. All those Jews in Passover and following Jesus Christ, raising, raising palm branches and singing Hosanna, following Jesus, boy, would that be some kind of riot and what would happen? The religious leaders knew that they had spoken the parable against them. Their hatred increased, and along with the intent, destroy him. The more they saw, the more they saw that people loved Christ. The miracles that he had performed Looked, forgot about all of what this said in saying he would come. Their hearts were hardened. They just refused to believe. They encountered Christ. They encountered the Christ, but refused to believe. We have been given the entire gospel. Truth gospel simply meaning good news. We are now expected to embrace the truth and what this really means. Share it faithfully with others. We're not supposed to stay locked up in a church and just looking over this like the Pharisees did. We're supposed to be out sharing this with others. The parable as I said, primary is for the people of Israel. She is pictured as a vineyard, the Jews, or the husbandman who leased the, fish, the vineyard and God is the owner. Jesus revealed the state of affairs at the moment and their disobedience to Almighty God and their commitment to him. He revealed the state of affairs of Israel and their commitment and obedience to him. Now, this was given to Israel in the time of history, but like I said before, it's certainly application to us as well today. Remember when I said they served? The, there will be consequences? And in Mark, it says he gave it away. He gave it to the Gentiles, to spread the word of God, the salvation, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ, who God really is, and he gave it to the Gentiles. His own had rejected him. God's chosen people rejected him. But I ask you, do we reject him by our actions? Do we reject him by the priorities that we choose. Christian leaders and Christians downs all through the ages is the same. It's never changed. It's been translated, yes, in many languages. The most sought after book and the, big, the book printed and sold more but I guarantee that there's more Bibles that people never look at in their home. Jesus is the meaning of salvation and reconciliation to God. The only way to have a relationship with God is through the Son, the Son that Jesus Christ provide a redemption, and we see him as Savior and Lord. So what kind of wine do you suppose that uh, was were growing in God's vineyard when the tenants had it with the Jewish people? What kind of wine? I don't know a whole lot about wine. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> can't drink it. I'm allergic to it, but it's still pretty good. They were growing wild grapes. In my understanding, you can't make good wine out of wine or wild grapes. It was good for nothing. You could use it for nothing. So it was a waste. But you see, God has entrusted the church, not this building, but us. He has entrusted us to spread the word. That vineyard has been given to us. He has given us the world to tell his story of salvation. We are to be a blessing. We are to be a blessing to the whole world so that all people can know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and Almighty God. This is not our property. We are working for God to serve the world, not to serve ourselves. Boy, did we ever get caught up in that. I would be the first one to raise my hand. I don't like the color of that chair. I don't want carpet, I want something else. Some of the things that we can really get caught up in in the things of the world. We're supposed to be about teaching people about Jesus Christ. The love and the grace, the reconciliation through forgiveness. Choosing the words from of what he says. Not making up our own words or making excuses for what this book says, the inspired Word of God, but telling people the true message and leaving the decision up to God, how they will deal with us. Our lives are not built on what we think is doing the right thing, because I can tell you, I can give you a scenario, and we would have many, many different answers. What is the right thing to do that because of what we want? selfish people, but God knows if we keep God in the center. We don't bet on the standards of the world, says it's important, but what God's Word says. Standards of the world have been pretty skewed. we become a part of it, and how many times have I said, several people in here have been in my class a lot, so if you want to put your fingers in your ears, go ahead when it comes down to it, it's like if you were being arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We have to really stop to think about it. Can't tell by the way I dress. Can't tell by the way I drive my car. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a good driver. I don't have a fish on it just in case I get caught, but I'm a good driver can't tell where I live, and most of us can tell by the love and the compassion that we have for those that do not know Jesus Christ, but with the truth, not a made-up story that someone wants to hear to make them feel good, and what they think they're doing is right. That's not what it's about. We're telling them about the love of Jesus Christ, and how he died for each of us, no matter what. We are to be a blessing, and we have to realize that even the poorest people in this country are probably richer than most of the world, and how we are blessed. Our churches are not built of bricks, mortar, steel, and wood. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if you start to build a building, in my understanding, if the cornerstone is not laid properly, all the stones will follow that. It will weaken the foundation. If that cornerstone is wrong, and eventually that foundation will start to crack and to crumble. In that building, the doors will close, the windows won't open, and all of a sudden you start seeing these signs. Well, what is wrong here? We have a lot of that in Corpus Christi, don't we? A lot of that. But we have the same thing, people, in our spiritual lives. If that cornerstone is not Jesus Christ, and the foundation is not built on Jesus Christ, everything that comes after won't work. And then we will see our spiritual foundation as the building if you don't repair it right away. Notice first what is happening. But if it's not taken care of and repaired, then it will crumble. Nothing you can do. Same way in our spiritual life. If we don't notice where we're going wrong, where we're not following God's word, we're following the way of the world, the things that we want to do, that our lives become to where it's very difficult to spiritually repair them. But Jesus Christ can do that. The cornerstone is the truth of our salvation. Will we or have we noticed the cracks in our spiritual foundation of our personal lives? Of our blessed church, it happens silently in both areas until the damage starts to show. And I will say today the damage is starting to show in the world. When I was, when I think of the vineyards. I had gone to visit my grandmother, with whom I lived for three or four years before I was able to go to my mother. So that was from the time I was six months old to a little past four. And I loved my godly grandmother so very much. And I, I guess we were coming back to church one day. i being living in the city. We didn't have great barbers. She had a beautiful great barber. I used to love to go up and curl up with a book and lie there under the arbor, it was cool and nice, and smelled good. So we were coming back and Grandma went in the church, I stayed out in the yard after church, I've been sitting all morning. And so I thought, mmm, those grapes look good. (laughs) Oh man, they were green. Well I ate them anyway, oh my goodness. (laughs) They were sour. Well, my tummy felt them the next day too. Sometimes that's the way our religion, how we feel about things. When we eat sour grapes and turn out sour wine from the vineyard of the church in our life of Jesus Christ, then our spiritual tummy doesn't feel so good because we know we're not doing what is right. You see, all of us, will stand before God one day and give an account of what we have done with Jesus and how the truth, the truth of the gospel has impacted our lives. We have to ask ourselves the question, what has God entrusted with you in your personal life? What is God entrusted with us as a church? What is God actually doing? And we are, are we actually doing what God tells us? Are we doing what we say we want to do? Are we doing, more importantly, what someone else tells us about the Bible? God is true to speak to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.